And we'll start in 2 Timothy and we'll end in uh, Numbers. That always takes longer than I think it's going to take. When you watch an advertisement for the Marine Corps, you immediately know the kind of person they're looking for, the kind of characteristics that the Marine Corps is looking for. You can just see it. You don't even have to hear anything about the, the advertisement. They're not just looking for the few and the proud. They're, they're looking for the kind of person who can be the first one into danger. They're looking for the person who's loyal because no Marine gets left behind. They're looking for the kind of person who can to climb an inverted rock face just using one hand. And so that, that sort of disqualified me when I saw that part. They're, they're looking for somebody who can really use a sword well and looks great in a uniform. And so when you whip that sword around, you've got to stop it right here or else you amputate your own arm. And so you can just see, just from watching this 20 or 30 seconds, hey, this is the kind of person, if you're going to be a Marine, you've got to have these kinds of characteristics. You've got to have these kinds of character traits. And so when we've been looking here in the opening chapter of Second Timothy, you remember that Paul the Apostle has been Timothy's mentor. And he's dying, and he's writing this last letter, and he's been encouraging Timothy in the opening chapter as much as he can. But here he's turning a corner in chapter 2, and he's going to press in on Timothy and say, you're going to be one of the few, you're going to be one of the proud, and these are the kinds of characteristics that I'm trying to press in on you so that you can take the gospel to the next generation. And so we see sort of this corner being turned in chapter 2, verse 1, this verbal clue, you then, or but as for you, my child. He's, he's beginning to turn a corner. He's beginning to press in on Timothy and says, this is what we need from pastors who are going to take the gospel into the second century. And I'm sure you would agree with me, these are also the kinds of characteristics we need pastors to have who are going to take the gospel into the 21st century. These are the kinds of characteristics that we need to have from Christians who are living out their lives in a community like Wilmington. And so there'll be lots of application that you can draw from the text from yourself. And mainly, if you just look at verse 15, this is sort of the the verse that wraps all this stuff together. Paul says, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker or a workman. So we're asking ourselves, what are the characteristic traits of an effective workman? So we're going to work through some of those this week and we'll work through some of them next week. So I want to just pick off four this morning. Let's begin in verse 14. Remind them of these things. If you want to be a good workman for God, this is one of the critical characteristics is you have to remind people of these things. In the Greek, that means put these things in their mind. You're the pastor, you're the leader, and you need to help your congregation, and you can primarily help them by reminding, them the, reminding your people of these particular things. 
and really in leadership in general, but godly leadership specifically, a lot of godly leadership is just simply reminding people of stuff that they already know. I mean, you've probably come to church and said, hey, I didn't know that. I'm glad I was helped by that. But most of the time, my guess is you've come to church and said, yes, I always just forget that. I always drift away from that truth. And I need someone to put that back in my mind, to put it at center stage. That's exactly what Moses was doing as he was passing away and he was handing back the truth to Joshua. And he says this, So Moses wrote down the law and he gave it to the priests and all the elders of Israel. And then Moses said, At the end of every seven years when all Israel comes together to appear before the Lord, Read the law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, children, and the aliens living in your towns so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord. Write down for yourselves this song and teach it. So that's chapter 31. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, it's a song that Moses sings. So he's not just going to say something to him. He's going to sing something to him, which is partly why we sing. You can remember certain truths because you're singing them to yourself. You're reminding yourself of certain truths. Second, Peter. Peter is dying and he's handing back the gospel now in his letter. And he says, I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this body because I know that I will soon put it aside. But until then, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So part of being a good workman is just reminding people of very specific truths. And let's ask ourselves, well, what is it that Paul is reminding Timothy of? And there's at least two things. You look back in verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul is constantly throughout the book reminding Timothy of the grace that is in Jesus Christ. He's constantly reminding Timothy of the gospel. Timothy knows the gospel, but he's trying to firmly establish it in his mind because it only takes one short step away before you're not with the gospel. So he's constantly pressing the gospel in on Timothy. You see it there in verse 8 and 9. He's talking about the gospel. We did a sermon on those verses. So as a good workman, you're always going to go back and you're going to remind people of the word grace, the grace that is in Jesus Christ. So let's remind ourselves this morning what it is that grace means. Because of sin, humanity is drowning. We cannot save ourselves. And so we need some outside intervention. I don't know if you saw this story on the news. I think it was just happened yesterday, the day before. I guess it was in the floods of California. There was a dog in a ravine. Did anybody see this story? And some kind of helicopter rescue guy had to really risk his own life And he grabs a hold of the dog. And what does the drowning dog do? He bites the guy who's trying to save him. And so the guy saves him. He has to go to the hospital. And I thought, how close is this to the gospel? Jesus Christ is lowered down at great risk to himself. And the very person he's trying to save turns around and says, thank you. Well, no, we bite him. We say, we don't want this. That's the nature of the kind of rescue we need. We're not looking for a hand. 
We're drowning. And so some outside entity needs to come in and rescue us. And God has done that. And he's done that in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ took the weight of our sin and he drowned so that we might be on the firm foundation and live forever. That's grace. Christ didn't come to give us a second chance. And I say amen to that. I do not need or want a second chance. Because I know if I got a second chance, what would I be asking for? A third chance. And a fourth chance. And a fifth chance. And a one millionth chance. But Jesus Christ didn't come and say, Paul, you messed it up. I'm going to sort of help you and let's see if you can do it now. He's saying, no, you messed it up. There's no hope for you, Paul. I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to forever put you in a right relationship with God and it doesn't have anything to do what you have with what you have done that is grace because it has something to do with what I've done then we're going to lose the gospel the gospel is going to be eroded away and it's critical to sort of reapply the gospel all the time to our lives because we can end up being like people like Hymenaeus and Philetus they, they swerved from the truth. It seemed like maybe they were going towards it, but then they took a turn and they swerved away from the truth and they were leading people astray. They no longer to, began to believe that there was an actually, actual bodily resurrection of believers. A number of you are in journey groups and we're studying through the book of Galatians. And that's essentially what happens to the people in Galatia. They swerved from the truth. They were saved by grace And then a group of people said, yeah, that's fine as a start, but then you've got to add these things in. And really, Jesus plus these things, that makes the gospel. And Paul comes in and says, you're missing the gospel. You've totally swerved away from the truth. There's a a kind of legalism that can easily slip into the church. And then it doesn't become the gospel. It's not grace. It's something else about you. And so... Paul's constantly trying to remind his people of one thing, and that's the gospel. The second thing he's trying to remind Timothy of, and we need to be reminded of, is that if you're going to live in the light of the gospel, verse 3, chapter 2, you're going to have to endure suffering. So don't get caught off guard. Don't think, well, I've got grace, and everything should be okay from now on, and now I'm suffering, so somehow I've missed something. No, Paul's trying to say, if you're going to live in light of the gospel, there's going to be suffering. And to make sure we understand it, he gives us sort of this verbal PowerPoint. David talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He says, okay, let's just try to think of these three concrete pictures. If you really want to live for Christ, you're going to have to suffer kind of like what a soldier would do. A soldier has to say no to civilian affairs so he can really be a soldier. Or an athlete. An athlete has to say no to certain practices so he or she can be a competitive athlete. Or a farmer. A farmer has to get up and toil even when there's no harvest so that at some point there'll be a harvest. And so Paul's trying to tell us, if you want to really begin to live for the Lord, then I want you to be sure that you are saved by grace. But then if you're going to live in light of that grace, it's going to be like an athlete or like a farmer or like a soldier. Second part of being a good workman 
One is to remind people of certain things, and that's particularly the gospel and suffering. Second thing, verse 15, Paul says this to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to to God as one approved. Approved by who? God. And I just think this is one of the most critical pieces, especially for a young person. Remember, one of my goals in doing this sermon right here was I have a young person who's going off to college. There are a number of young people going off to college, and I'm trying to press in on them, but really press in on all of us, that you live for the approval of somebody. Everybody does. And Paul is trying to help Timothy understand, live for God's approval. Do not live for mankind's approval. And so many of us drift. Churches drift. Men and women drift. Young men, young women, they drift because they're really looking for someone else's approval and not God's. Pastors can easily drift. Especially if they make the lost community their target. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. You've heard me say many, many times we need to move outside of these walls. We need to try to have an influence on our culture. But if we come to church and we say, hey, our target is lost people. We want them to come. What happens? What happens when they come? I want them to come back. And there's some things people don't want to hear. So I'm going to drift away from some truths in the Bible because I've made you my target. I want you to like me. I want you to like this message. But the Bible says it's a, it's a message that's offensive to the sinner. What do you mean I can't save myself? What do you mean I can't be a part of the rescue? You see, and whole churches get built on somebody outside. That's their target. They're trying to appro- get the approval of somebody else. Now, you can go on the opposite extreme. You can find yourself saying, well, I'm just seeking the approval of this small band of believers. We get together and we make sure we've got it all right. Or we're living according to what Pastor Paul would say or what Martin Luther would do or what John Calvin would do or what the Puritans would do or what the early church would do. And I'm not saying those practices might are, are not. I'm not saying they're negative. I am saying if that's your target, if you're saying we are trying to become like those people, just like them, then you fall off the horse on the other side. And my guess is you felt that tension in the church. You felt the tension in yourself. Which way should I go? And maybe you feel like one day I'm on this box and one day I'm on that box. And Paul's trying to help Timothy to say, hey, you're going to live for somebody's approval. Let's live for God's approval. Let's not live for mankind's approval. How many young men and young women have drifted from the truth because they were seeking the approval of another young man or another young woman? How many high school students have really sought the approval of other people and so they drift from the truth because they're really living for somebody else's approval and not God's. And so we might just take a moment and ask ourselves, is there some place in our life 
that we've drifted from the truth because we really want someone's approval rather than God's. Well, if you're a a good workman, you're going to try to live for God's approval. You're going to remind people of certain truths. Verse 15, the third thing I want to talk about is you're going to rightly handle the word of truth, which is contrasted by swerving from the truth in verse 18. So we need to be people who rightly handle the word of truth. We're not going to be people, if we're a good workman, who are swerving from the truth. And the imagery that Paul uses is so rich here. The, the right handling, the word is ortho, ortho, tomeo, ortho. You know that word, an orthodontist straightens your teeth. And so an ortho tomeo is somebody who cuts a straight line through the scriptures. And so we want to be somebody who can cut a straight path between two points, some, something that's easy to follow, that, that doesn't take people in different directions. But we're just saying, here's where God is, here's where you are. And using the scripture, I'm trying to cut a straight line so you can see what the truth is in the gospel. And again, a critical characteristic for uh, pastors, especially young pastors. Uh, Because we live in a culture that we might feel like innovation is more important than explanation of the gospel. Do you feel that tension? You want to be on the cutting edge? You want to be in a place that has this innovation with the gospel? And Paul's trying to say, Timothy, resist that just explain the gospel cut a straight path with the gospel the gospel is not some sort of canvas that you can come and say well i'm going to leave my mark no 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 the gospel leaves a mark on who you you don't leave a mark on the gospel you're the one that needs to be transformed and so we're not sitting, standing here in 2010 with this blank canvas and we're saying, well, here's what we think the gospel is. No, we're trying to cut a straight path between God and the human heart so people can understand from the word of God what's happening. I talked to a, a gentleman one time and we have gone through a series of these little booklets you made me heard me talk about. And it would basically read the gospel of John together. And we got to the end of the last uh, booklet was the last chapter of John, chapter 21. And I, you get to the end of this little study and you've been meeting with a person for five or six weeks and it asks the question in the booklet, are you ready to you know, make a commitment to Christ? And I said to this gentleman, I said, hey, I've now done, I think, all that I can do. All, all I can do is I can bring you to the door. But I cannot bring you through the door. And he looked at me and said, yeah, but you moved a lot of furniture. I was cutting a straight path. And he had all kinds of pieces of furniture in his room. He couldn't really get to where God was. He needed somebody to say, hey, let's just move all this out of the way and let's just get a straight path. This is where I am. This is where God is. And this is what he's done. And so Paul's trying to tell Timothy, don't try to be innovative. Don't try to be clever. Try to be clear about the gospel. Cut a straight path so people understand what you're talking about. One more point just here in verse 15. I want you to notice this. It says, do your best. Some 
translations, it, maybe it's make every effort or labor or study or endeavor. And I want to speak to those who are in ministry full-time and especially folks who might think that they would want to get into full-time ministry and that it's hard work. It's hard work. It's not something you say, well, you know, I just don't know what else to do, so I just do that. Well, I thought I just had to do this and that. I didn't know I really had to study. I mean, if it takes years of study for one man or one woman to understand how to straighten out your teeth without pulling your teeth out of your head, it's going to take time for you to learn how to cut a straight path. And you're going to have to do your best. You're going to have to endeavor. You're going to have to labor. It's hard work if you want to get into this kind of work. To straighten out people's lives using the Bible. To straighten out and look at your own life is hard work. And so if you're here thinking about that, think of it, it's hard work. If you're here and you're just trying to witness to a neighbor or a friend or a coworker, it's hard work. You're not just going to get little bite-sized answers. You cannot call me and say, Paul, just in a couple of sentences, tell me what the Trinity is. I mean, I just can't explain it in just a couple of sentences. So, so it's hard work. It's something you have to endeavor to make happen. You have to make, to, to make it straight. You have to work hard. How many of you have been given this assignment in English where you're supposed to write something really important, but you can only use like 50 words? You're like, whoa, I, I can't. Actually, it's harder to write something profound in 50 words than it is just the blah, blah, blah in 250. And so it takes hard work to cut a straight path through the Bible, to get it right so you're not swerving from the truth. And again, this verse 18, these two men came in, and uh, it seems to me maybe they were aiming for the target. The word swerved is an archery term, so maybe they pulled back the arrow and they let it go, but somehow they had miscalculated or misdained. We don't know if it was on purpose or not. But they swerved from the truth. There's the target, but they end up over here. And if you're watching... And you look at the person, let the arrow go, and the arrow goes, and you can follow it. What happens? Well, your eyes follow the arrow. You, you just keep following that arrow. And Paul's saying, hey, just make sure you know the gospel. Because you can start learning from a pastor. You can start learning from a friend. You can start hearing something. And if you just follow that arrow, you've got to make sure it hits the target. That's the gospel. Otherwise, you're just going to follow it right off the same cliff. And that's exactly what's happening in this church. A couple of men had come in and they had just swerved from the truth. You remember, it only takes a little bit off in the beginning before you get to the end and you're way off. And so people's faith is being overturned by these two men. And we'll talk about some of what they did next week. So we just want to make sure if you're going to be a good workman, you're rightly dividing the word of truth, and it's going to take hard work. Final characteristic I want to just touch on this morning, and this is where we end in chapter 16 of uh, Numbers. Paul sort of, uh, well, in this verse 19, he quotes something. 
And I think you get the sense if you're reading through the letter that Paul is helping Timothy to understand, Timothy, you're going to live through some turbulent times. He's already talked about the suffering that Timothy's having to endure. He's already used himself an example of somebody who's in a prison. He's used these difficult uh, pictures of being a soldier or an athlete or a farmer. And so it may have caused some disruption in Timothy. And so Timothy thinking, gosh, I'm going to be the, the pastor in this kind of turbulent water. So Paul drops down an anchor in verse 19 that I think it's helpful for us to understand. God's firm foundation stands. Okay, so Timothy, you may feel like you're not on a firm foundation, but there is a firm foundation that's never going to shift. I mean, I think about Octavius. He was on what he thought was a firm foundation. Anything in this world is not that firm. So you need to have your life on something that's never going to shift. And he's saying, here's what's never going to shift, Timothy. Whenever people are aiming at you, no matter what you have, problems coming from the outside in, or you have problems on the inside going out, you're going to live in this turbulent times. I want you to be holding on to this anchor. And he has these two quotes. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, Timothy would have known this passage, and so he would have said, yeah, Paul's talking about this very famous story back in Numbers 19. And we read that story, and that is, it's not a doctrinal issue that's happening with Moses. It's just a leadership issue. And Korah and some of his men, who are men that are well-known, men who are approved by the congregation, they come up to Moses and Aaron and say, we just don't like the direction you're going. Who are you to say? And Moses says, hey, I'm not the person to say. God is. And we're going to find out tomorrow who's really God's. Now, this is a tough setup here. So the next day, these 250 men, their wives, their children, everybody belonging to them is standing sort of on one side and Moses and the congregation is standing on the other side. And Moses says, step away from these men. And the congregation steps away from these men and God opens up the earth and they swallow Korah and these men in one big gulp. So Timothy you're going to get a lot of flack from people on the inside. You're going to get a lot of flack from people on the outside. And I want you to be sure that God knows who are His. You may not be able to always figure that out, Timothy. That may not be your role, but God knows. And in the meantime, here's what you need to do, Timothy. Remind people of the gospel Keep them going in a straight path. It's not that complicated, but it's very difficult for Timothy to do that. It's very difficult for any pastor to do that. And then remind your people, the second thing on the stone is to step away from wickedness. To step away from iniquity. Isn't it fascinating that right here on the foundation, you see God's sovereignty... God knows, and what? 
Man's responsibility. Tell your people to step away from wickedness. So we want to help, we want to understand as God's workmen, even our good friends sometimes are going to back away from us. Paul says in chapter 4, Demas, one of, one of my primary workers, because he loved this world so much, he left me. But Timothy, that's going to happen. What you need to do, cut a straight path. Keep talking about the grace of the gospel. Don't let anything or anyone move you from that point. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not, what? Walk in the counsel of the wicked. Remind your people to walk in a different direction. Well, this morning I am God's workman, which will be the first question I ask when I get to heaven. God, why didn't you choose me as your workman? I don't have a lot of other questions that need to be answered. That's really the question that I have. What in the world were you doing? But I want to be a good workman. So I want to remind you of the grace of God, that His grace is enough. It does not matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you've been and all that stuff. What matters is what Christ has done. That's what matters. And when you get hold of that grace, then you're going to live in a different way. Don't seek man's approval. Ah, it shifts all the time. Be careful to work hard in handling the word. Beware of people who are swerving away from the truth. Be assured that God's firm foundation stands. God knows who are His. You take responsibility to step away from wickedness and step towards Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we are so easily just all by ourselves. fall off these sides we forget about the grace and so we put ourselves in the equation we make mankind in some way whether it's ourselves or other people we we seek the the approval of those people we have our our foundation on someone else's viewpoint and not on your viewpoint we forget things that we've known all our lives and yet we forget and we live in a different direction. We might even in our own ignorance be swerving from the truth, adding to the gospel in some way, separating pieces of the gospel out as if they're not important. And Lord, so I pray for your divine intervention for, help, for us to help see ourselves. I pray that in this week and next week you would be pressing in on your people, that you would be molding them into good workmen, rightly handling the truth, able to cut a straight path so that they themselves could see the grace of God and they could show someone else the grace of God. 
Lord, as we think about uh, this offering as part of worship, we thank you for the many, many things that you've given us. We pray for people, even in this congregation, who have lost jobs and continue to be faithful in their giving, who have sacrificed in order for us to even meet here this morning, who have given above and beyond for the needs of Haiti. And Lord, whether it's a dollar or a thousand dollars, I pray that you just take it and multiply it, that your name would be lifted up here and around the world. In that name we pray. Amen.